A good day to all, peeps. Guy Adami here, Dan Nathan there, and we're bringing Carter in hot at the top. This is the last full week of August, if you can wrap your head around that. I don't mean to bring you down, but it's just truth. I'm dropping truth bombs here, Dan. This is Market Call. Today's episode brought to you by FactSet. Financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. We're powered by Open Exchange. We're getting a little rain here in the Northeast, which we need for the plants and what have you. It's good for the streams and the reservoirs. You know what's else good for the streams and reservoirs and all things markets? That's yeah. Carter Braxtonworth. Dan, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, we are bringing him in because, you know, Carter had a fairly prolific week with us on Market Call last week. And we're just going to get into it right here, Carter. Welcome. But we started Monday Market Call last week. You were detailing some important lines in the SPY. That's the ETF that tracks the S&P 500. Then on Wednesday, you made a big call. We detailed it on Market Call on Wednesday afternoon. I put an options trade on it. felt very OA ish a little bit let's just talk about like we'll hit your charts in in a minute here carter what do you think sentiment wise you know you drew the lines last week let's talk about the s p 500 what changed in your mind if you will about like why does it match up so well with that if you drew a line from the jan second high and you attach it to the late march high and you get to where we were last week to the penny as you would say yes it's curious and yet at the same time in many ways, it makes sense, right? Levels don't have to be that precise. And we all know that moving averages or trend lines serve their purpose. And then there are times when it moves a bit above or doesn't quite get to a trend line. Then what? Don't act, do act. So you can't be sort of doctrinaire, right? One has to sort of have subjectivity in addition to the very objective tools that are used. But at some point, and, and there's no way around this, this counter trend move, because we're in a downtrend, right? Until that changes, and that can't change easily, the market peaked on Jan 4. This counter trend move, you can't go up forever, right? And yeah. so it stops. Now, it went a little much further than someone thought, further than I thought. But now what? It's sort of run into a level where, hey, profit takers, because how does it go down? Someone yeah. sells. Who sells? A profit taker, someone who bought well at the bottom, or someone who's like, Thank God, I just got a lot of losses returned. And so it is what it is. It doesn't mean we can say it goes to new lows. Nobody knows that. It's only a two or three day dip and then gets going again back to new highs. I don't think that's likely, but is it possible? Sure. At the end of the day, steep, uncorrected, everyone's sort of bullish all of a sudden and you kind of want to fade it. Yeah, no, I think that makes sense, especially, you know, we had a lot of earnings to digest. I mean, Guy, I think your downside target in the S&P 500, and we detailed it a lot. You know, we we were thinking about what is a multiple on what we thought 2022 earnings were going to be like, where the S&P could go if people got, you know, a bit rational about the environment and a rising rate environment. Well, you know, you also, you guys were both on the call, I think, in mid to late June that we were going to get a nice counter trend rally. I don't think either one of you guys thought we were out of the woods. So, Guy, here we are, you know, the S&P rallied from what, you know, 3630 or something like that. It got to like 4320-ish, right? We're down 4% from the highs last week. You know, Carter's going to walk us through the charts in a second. What do you think kind of changed here and how much to the downside? Where do you think a a target is just as far as from a sentiment shifting standpoint? Because from the Jan second highs to the lows in late February, the S&P was down about 15%, had a really big rally into late March. Then from late March to the lows in June, we were down about 21 and a half percent. Okay. Where do you think we could go just on where market participants got off sides? 
I think people have gotten themselves off sides a number of times during this year. And it was mid-June, you know, Carter and I both said after that Fed meeting, we thought 4,100 was somewhat inevitable and overshoot to 4,200. You mentioned we got north of that. That actually surprised me. And then I actually thought this was all going to take place before the beginning of August, which it didn't do. But here we are. And I think what has changed? Well, I think people have come to the realization that, hey, wait a second, things aren't as great as the market seems to indicate, number one. Number two, maybe the Fed is not going to pivot. You know, Maybe all this sense that they're going to stop, pause, lower rates sometime next year, maybe that's not a foregone conclusion. You know, That 8.5% CPI number got people excited. Maybe rightly so. I don't know. And I've said a number of times, I think that 9.1% will be the peak in terms of number, but we will continue to be, you know, Dan, pesky and persistent. And I believe that a lot of people have come to that realization as well. So I think people realize that the Fed is serious this time. I think that's changed a little bit. You know what else has changed? We're going to talk about interest rates as well. I mean, just look at the ridiculousness going on in 10-year yields. I mean, the volatility there is significant. And I also think what's changed is, you know, everybody wants to be, there's so so many people longing to call bottoms and tops, to be Mark Haynes of this generation. And I think you had a chorus of people trying to pick the bottom. And I just didn't, it didn't make sense to me. So the bounce made sense. The sell-off is making sense. And to answer your final question, you know, I think 3,400 is not out of the realm of possibility here in terms of just the math around a 17 multiple and probably $200 or so worth of S&P earnings. Yeah, and and I guess what I would just add there is that, you know, back in June as we headed into, you know, the end of Q2, there was a couple really high profile pre-announcements. Sentiment was really bad and I think it was really kind of easy to extrapolate that the back half of the year guidance was going to be really bad, so keep selling. And that's the exact point where you got to take your foot I think off the the, the pedal a little bit. Carter, walk us through the charts. We just kind of gave our sense from a sentiment standpoint you know last week again you know you said you thought at that point that we would see a rejection where's your target now to the downside i know that you're a big you know like you like to see gaps get filled here there are a couple going back to june in mid-june right before that fed meeting that's right and so just looking at it taking it at face value the beauty of those lines, not because I drew them, but they draw themselves, right? I didn't manipulate it. I didn't fit it to tell a story. On the way up, you know, the market adhered to that sort of what you'd call an internal trend line because I've drawn it above. And then now on the way down, we have the same thing in reverse. We didn't quite get there, as you can see, if you were to zoom in on that. But the point is that it's failed where it is generally likely to have failed. And now down we go. Okay, how far down? There are unfilled gaps. I mean, certainly sub 4,000 has to be a reasonable consideration for anyone who is a tactical sort of short-term trader. Mm-hmm. The next, look at the next one. It's got arrows on it. I mean, I think that, I mean, you take them away, put them back, take it away. I mean, it's kind of nice, you know? I mean, it. you kind of wonder, is it all ordained? This, listen, here's the thing about a chart like this, and this, there's no way around this. This is an anathema to the Federal Reserve Bank, to the CFA Society, the Harvard Business School. They don't accept it. None of them. They say, what is this? Is this voodoo? No, it's just the way it is. And it's the oldest way of securities now. It's what Cowell's Cap M. How old are dividend discount models? 40, 60 years old? They've been charting markets for 200 years. Yeah, no doubt about that. Okay, well, you know, to the downside, we talked about those gaps a little bit here. You know, 
We're going to talk about Apple in a second because you had a call there, but you know, Guy just mentioned rates and you know, I don't think it's a coincidence that you had about a week and a half ago, you know, that kind of move off of what 2.6 in the 10 year US Treasury yield. And here we are back above 3% for the first time in over a month or so. Guy, thoughts on rates here? Because again, that was a well defined downtrend that yields had been in from that 3.6 level. And when you think about the magnitude of the move from those highs to that recent low, as you said, that volatility is insane. What is your thought? Do you think that this is a big input for the reversal that we've seen in equities over the last few days? Yeah, 100%. I think it's so much of it is predicated on Carter's charts without question. But what's going on in 10-year yields, look, we had said for a while we thought 2.5% was in the cards. We got there. We actually got saw twos, tens, went pretty close to 50 basis points inverted. I think it got to 49 or so basis points, whatever. It was right there. But this move from two and a half to north of three, I think is catching a lot of people off guard and clearly S&P participants without question. But if you think if you think out there that are listening to this or watching this, if you think rates are going higher because somehow magically the economy is getting better, think again. It's got nothing to do with the economy whatsoever. As a matter of fact, if you look at the data, data continues to get worse. Rates continue to get higher with data getting worse. That's not good. This is something that Danny Moses talks about all the time. So rising yields in this environment is not indicative of an economy that's getting better. It's indicative of the fact that inflation is still a problem. I think that's what the bond market is telling you. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, actually, you know, you just said this before, this kind of notion that people were betting on, you know, at least in the stock market that the Fed was going to pivot this year. I think this is saying otherwise. Carter, when you look at a chart, and this is not a great chart, and, you know, we're trying to take a little bit of the heavy lifting off you every Monday a little bit. I'll just draw some some funny lines here and there. It's a 30-year chart of the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield. It's not a log chart, but you get the point, upper left, bottom right. We briefly broke out above it in 2018. But then, you know, we had this black swan event, the 10-year yield that I don't think anyone thought would go to below 50 basis points ever, right? Did that. Here we are. We broke out above it. Is this a sort of generational low in your opinion? Not saying that yields are going to move up dramatically anytime soon. I'm just curious how you think about this on a long-term basis. Yeah, I mean, as you say, it's not long. The log chart shows quite precisely that we never really got above the downtrend line, this different iteration. The key is that we're faltering at the 2000 sort of 19, 18 high, right? It's right in there, you can see. And so going a little bit above, that's always a great question in Tedagos. Well, it it broke out. So if a stock or currency money goes a dollar above a prior high, but then fails, was that a breakout? Meaning he has to clear it by a certain amount and then stick its landing. You can't like go there and then fall back below it. That doesn't count. And so in a way, this doesn't count. It did make a new incremental high, but it's faltered. And I think it's stuck here. That's my, that's my guess. So guys, you No, go ahead, Dan. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, you know, you've been talking about that volatility in the bond market for a long time, but like, talk to me a little bit about what we're seeing in the U.S. dollar, because the volatility here, and this is something that I think, just like rates, major input as we, you know, value risk assets and the sort of trajectory of their earnings power, the U.S. dollar massively, you think of the biggest drivers of the biggest companies 
in our major indices, right? The US dollar is huge because a lot of their sales come from overseas. The Dixie just bounced the US dollar index. We know half of it is the Euro, but 105 to basically 109 in a week, that is a huge percentage move for a currency like this. People don't realize what a huge move that is. I mean, that typically, the move you just outlined is typically when I was doing this back in the day was a move that would take place over six months, if not longer. And that's not an exaggeration. Currencies just didn't move like that. And now we're seemingly seeing currency move like that on a daily basis, number one. Number two, and I know we can speak to this, this is one we nailed. Carter started it and I was sort of completely with him. Back in June, I wanna say May, June, Carter said, look, you know, this dollar has been a runaway train. Everybody's now bullish in the dollar. It's reasonable to think here you're going to see a bit of a correction in this dollar rally. And that's exactly what happened to Carter's point to the penny. Traded back to that uptrend line, and here we are bouncing. I look at this and say we're probably going to take those levels out. And the dollar's probably headed, I don't want to say considerably higher, but I think significantly higher than we are now. And that parity level, which we've finally gotten through, one has to wonder how quickly now we trade into the low 90s if we get there in the euro. And what does it mean? Well, I will tell you what it's telling the market, I think, whether you want to acknowledge it or not, is exactly what the bond market is telling you. This Fed is not fooling around. That's why the dollar is going higher, in my opinion. And quite frankly, to the extent that we talk about it in this show, that's why Bitcoin is going lower, because I think Bitcoin is waking up to the fact that this Fed is trying to be responsible and fight the inflation that they so long for for such a Long period of time, Dan, Nathan. Yeah, well, no, I mean, that's a great rundown of what's going on. I think it's really important to bring up the parity because, again, I mean, Europe is very, like, the data there has been really bad. And you think about how important, you know, Europe is as an end market for U.S. multinationals. And if they're selling or there's decreased demand, right, and a strengthening dollar, that just hits them hard. Think about a name like Apple. You know, Carter, let's just go to it. You said last week, Wednesday, <laughs> sell it all. I mean, here's a company that is operating. I think executed very well. I, guy, you and I would agree very well in a very difficult environment. Absolutely. When you think about what's going on with the dollar, if you think about the supply chain issues, if you think about end demand in China, you think about a weakening Europe, if you think about shutting off Russia, right? Like, like all of the above here, okay? And they've done well in this rise. Carter, how did you characterize this last week on Wednesday? You called it, I think, unnatural. It was 35% off the lows, topped out last week at 2.8 trillion for a company that gets, you know, about half of its sales overseas when the dollar is doing what it's doing. Yeah. I mean, without talking to the chart, it, just that concept, I mean, to be, first of all, up 35% in any eight-week period, whether it's a bounce, which what this was, or an extension of up move. Think Apple's had eight-week periods in, in 99 where it goes up that much and it's getting to a blow off top. But that kind of strength over that short period of time has to be sort of answered. It can't continue and it hasn't continued. But what's important also here is the is the principles. And, and I'm not here pitching technical analysis because it doesn't need to be pitched. It pitches itself. Take a look at this chart. Now, those are trend lines. Look at those arrows. When you break above that downtrend where that green arrow is, it's game on. And now look, we're threatening to break below the uptrend. Now, here's the point of moving averages. You can use a moving average instead. Those are actual trend lines. Look at the next chart. It's the same thing, meaning the point of a moving average, try to measure trend. And so whether you draw the lines or use a moving average, the green arrow is the point at which that moving average inflects. So let's put the two charts together. So we have an automated trend line, the moving average, and we have the actual trend lines. Let the sort of 
the wisdom of trend, if you will, work in your favor. Don't typically fight trends until they're too extended, just like we don't want to catch the falling knife until it's too so bad it's good. And then be courageous and go the other way. It's interesting about Apple. We talk about this all the time. If you didn't know what this company was and just looked at this chart, to your point, up 34% or so since those June lows, which is remarkable, completely outperforming the broader market, number one. Number two, you look at it at a company trading 27 times next year's numbers. Forget about their cash balance because, quite frankly, the market hasn't rewarded them for anything for that for years. But you look at this stock, you look at the fundamentals and say it's a company with single-digit EPS growth, single-digit revenue growth, trading at 27 times next year's number, having a 34% bounce. I mean, it just doesn't make a lot of sense in this environment. And again, it's not to cast aspersions about Apple. They've executed extraordinarily well. And I would submit they deserve a premium valuation. The question is, how much of a valuation? And Carter nailed that call. As a matter of fact, on Fast Money that night, when Carter came on, Mel saw me on the phone and I joked that I was putting on some hedging strategies <laughs> because he scared the you-know-what out of me. But it turned out to be a prescient call. And I think he's going to be right on this one. You know, this is one that I think is going to gain momentum, uh, especially with rates going higher here and with the consumer probably coming into question in the back half of the year, Dan. Yeah, so, you know, I was looking for an excuse to kind of figure out how to get some short exposure in this. Carter's charts, I was looking at the same thing he was, but the context and the different time frames in which he put it really gave me the conviction to go out and I I actually bought some puts that day and we detailed it on market call when the stock was 174 i bought the september 16th expiration 170 puts they cost about three dollars and ten cents right now so here's the deal the stock while it has reversed it's not down nearly as much as the stock market in that time period and carter i want to get your take on this you know right before you go here it's going to be one of the last battles fought in this little period of time but my puts now that i bought the 170s in sep on the stock was 174 with a stock just below 169 or about five and a quarter okay so that's a nice gain here and i have I'm always of the mindset i look to manage a trade like this if i have a double really soon i'll probably take so that would be six dollars in premium i'll take half of that off and let the other half ride here what would your near-term target be if this thing were to play some quick catch-up? Again, stock's down 1.5% on a day. The NASDAQ's down 2.3%, so it's outperforming the NASDAQ and the S&P today. That's right, because it is very defensive, right? It is a, it almost the sort of where people would go, last bastion of hope, safety, Warren Buffett, big shareholder, all that cash, and so forth yeah. and so forth. But that's why it was so bid up, 35%. I would say exactly that. You get a double in life. We all know how quickly those evaporate. I would take half off and then you play. I would say 163, 164. Yeah, that unfilled gap from yep. post earnings down there near 160. That's where it gapped to. So I am in your camp. We'll keep updating that. All right, Carter Braxton Worth. Thanks so much, man. You can follow yeah. him at Carter B. Worth and you know where to find all of his great work. That'd be where, guy? It would be at worth charting, old-fashioned technical analysis, <laughs> nothing slick, just charts. Oh, I you mean, love that it. that is so good. I just you, like saying that. You I love, love Carter Worth, by the way. He brings the goods. By the way, you know, you would think just quickly on Apple before we yeah. segue into the earnings this week, 150 makes a lot of sense. You know, 50% retracement of that recent low and this recent high, you know, 150 and without batting an eye, especially if this tape starts to unravel like 
we've suggested it might, Dan. But we got earnings this week, so why don't we put up our little? I mean, Amanda makes great little. What do they call these things? Charts or yeah, what, they, what call they call them slides. Like they call they call Slide. them slide. They call them slides. Yeah, you like to say what? Slides. When they have slides, what do you like to say when you want to move? I slides? say slide that shit, Earl. That's oh. that's a bingo player. Look, I mean, Zoom is what it is. We're gonna look at it. I think Palo Alto, by the way, today we don't have the chart, Dan. But I think Palo Alto is really interesting. I mean, it's a technology company, yeah, but as you pointed out, we're not that far away from its 200-day moving average, significantly lower than its all-time high mid last year. But year-to-date, it's not getting beat up. It's actually been hanging in there pretty well. But I will tell you what sticks out to me this week, and we're going to look at some charts. NVIDIA on Wednesday, remember they gave a guide a few weeks ago. They gave their guide on gaming revenue. God help us if they come in and guide lower on data center data center and some other things because then that's the next leg lower in the chips. But let's take a look at some of these things, Dan. Yeah, let's talk about the Zoom that reports after the close today. Huge rally, obviously, at one point off of those lows, but it's really been banging around here, going sideways to lower over the last month or so. And again, you know, it's interesting. We talk about some of this stuff. I mean, again, the valuation is still even down 80-some percent from its all-time highs, you know, at the end of 2020 or so. I mean, the stock is still expensive. And, you know, a lot of the conversation, I saw an article this weekend, you know, that Apple employees are revolting. They don't want to come back, guy, to the office Tuesday, Wednesdays, Thursdays. I mean, kind of, dude, if we had four-day weekends, and that's essentially what a lot of these kids have today, I mean, wouldn't you kind of have been overjoyed to be in the office three days a week or so, maybe learn something from somebody who's got a little bit more experience from you, kind of create some new skills, new relationships, new something. Get out of your house. I mean, talk to me, guy. Because- yeah, no, that's I mean- right. And look, I mean, it's certain. This I don't think any of us will say Zoom isn't a great innovative company. It is without question. Yeah. I think Zoom has a place in this world going forward, again, without question. What it comes down to is at what valuation does it have a place in this world? And I still think at current levels, it's probably still too expensive. And yes, we've bounced, but you know, bounced off a ridiculous level and you see where we've been and you see where we are now. So we've seen a number of companies have that next leg lower post an earnings release that everybody has expectations for. And I got to tell you something, it wouldn't surprise me in the slightest to see Zoom be one of those companies as well this afternoon. Yeah, so the implied move in the options market is about 13% in either direction, which is a whole heck of a lot here. One of the things that I think is really important to differentiate between this company and many other companies that have absolutely been you know, demolished over the last, let's call it year, year and a half or so that were huge beneficiaries of the pandemic. It's a very profitable company, Guy. It trades about 26 times mm-hmm. this year's earnings, only about six and a half times sales. And I know that you're going to say, I just said, only about six and a half times sales. We know that was a fat, fat multiple, but I think there's a value. I mean, at some point, maybe it's another gap. Maybe it's, it gets back towards those prior lows. I think the question is, is like, if there is a disappointing guidance and the stock does go back towards those lows near 80 bucks or so, that's not so far off here, right? And if you think about what the implied move, at some point, if it can hold those May lows, then maybe you take a shot. Maybe then sentiment is low enough here. But if you're playing it to the long side in a market, market like this, okay, you're actually just really playing it for that one day or short-term move because there's not a whole heck of a lot of conviction on things that move higher. Do you agree with that thought yeah, process? Yeah, I agree 100%. Listen, if you, if you are long into this number and you get that bounce in the post-market, I think you take the money and run quickly because my sense is, and again, there's no way to prognosticate what they're going to say or how it's going to react, but if you do get that 13% bounce to the upside, 
I don't think it's going to be all that long-lived. It's going to be short-lived yeah. at best, and that actually might make for a worse setup than if we were to see that move back to prior lows, hold it for a while, and then get new participants involved. To me, that's the better of the two outcomes. We'll see how it plays out. Yeah, so here's one. Again, you just mentioned Palo Alto, and I think this is important to think about. This stock is down less than 10% on the year, very close to its 200-day moving average. And again, I mean, what's different about this company is here is where they sit. It was obviously a huge trend in the pandemic. People wanted these security models here, and they made sense. And there was no valuation that they weren't willing to pay. This thing now trades at about 68 times earnings, about nine times sales. So not cheap here. I think, you know, when people are focused on a name like this, you know, they're focused on revenue growth, expected to grow sales 25% a year for the next few years. And just the ability, I guess that the retention that they've seen, this is a big, you know, something to focus on with a name like this. So that's one of the reasons why people are still willing to pay these multiples. Guy, when you see a chart like this, and again, we don't have it, but it's really been flatlined in and around 500, other than a huge move up and a huge move lower, right? At some point mid-year, talk to me a little bit about how you think about this space, this stock in particular, and its outperformance. We're talking, I want to be clear here. We're talking about Palo Alto Networks. Is that correct? That is correct. We have, yeah. a, we have the bad chart and up I, there. I just wanted to make yeah. sure. No, yeah. because I agree with you on that. And listen, it's, an, it's always been an expensive company on all the metrics you just put out. But when things were going well and the market was doing well, yeah. this was a stock that seemingly nobody cared about the valuation and people looked past that. Now, people are a bit more focused. I will tell you for what it's worth, you can justify the valuation in this company because they're in the right space and they're the best company in the right space. But with that said, even for a Palo Alto Networks, valuation matters. You know, I liked holding this company. I mean, this to me is more of a, one of those ones you want to own, not trade. Yeah. falls under that Apple category, but we'll see how it plays out in earnings today. All right, fair enough. All right, let's do one quick one here. We have Netflix. CFRA downgraded the stock at one point, Guy, off of its May lows. The stock had rallied just about last week, about 55%. When you think about that, it's pretty remarkable. And when you look at this chart that we have here, look where it got rejected, like almost to the penny. It was that opening tick from that gap mm-hmm. lower in April after they reported their Q1 earnings and disappointing Q2 guidance. And you look at that and you say to yourself, what would be the cap? Catalyst, right, to kind of pop it above that kind of resistance level and, and really get it to try to fill in the gap. I also think that that declining 200-day moving average is going to be lining up with that April gap pretty soon. So this is one I think to keep a close eye on here. I know that this move towards this ad-based model is something that some people are on really fervently on either side of this thing. Some people think it's going to be a huge boon for them and capture more revenue from people that are using, you know, account with multiple others in the family. And others think that their foray and their partnership with Microsoft and, for, and like capturing this revenue is not going to go well, okay, and all the competition that they're seeing from all these other services. So to me, that's what makes a market. Thoughts here, Guy, because I would look to buy this thing under 200 bucks. I did buy it under 200 bucks in late May, early June. I did sell out of it. I told people on Market Call how I was doing it. I might look on a pullback to maybe do something like calls, call spreads later into the fall, looking to fill in that gap back towards 300 yeah if you get it you know i'm not i'm not certain you will i'm not familiar with cfra's work but i'm sure it's thoughtful work i'll say this for the first time maybe ever since we've been watching netflix or we've been doing fast money you can actually make a really compelling case for netflix on valuation probably trading at 22 times or so 
next year's numbers, which is a valuation you probably haven't ever seen before in Netflix. So what I think you've seen with them, they've acquitted themselves extraordinarily well since you know the last couple of quarters, which have been disastrous. Maybe they write the ship. We talked to Tom Rogers about this last week on Fast Money. He continues to like the name. So if you were to get the move that you're looking for, I think you buy it with both hands. All right, here's one, a question guy from a viewer slash listener, um, Su Young Cha. Uh-huh. Happy Monday, gentlemen. One of these shows, could you talk about general rules of thumb when it comes to taking the other side of a really crowded trade? I feel like shorting UUP and long X oh, oh, uh, Oxy are really crowded right now. So again, he's talking about crowded yeah. trades. Give me your thoughts on that. And, and last Friday, and we'll speak to this in a second, we tweeted out from Market Call a very crowded trade and how I was playing it, but give me your thoughts of how you think about playing these sorts of things. Look, I mean, you can say that Apple was a crowded trade, and we obviously talked about that chapter and verse last week, and we talked about at the top of this show one, but this is the one thing I look for to answer that question. It comes down to how much volume you're seeing. Are you seeing a volume event on a high or a low? In other words, on a 52-week high or 52-week low, are you seeing capitulation? And by the way, capitulation happens both on the downside and on the upside, sometimes on the upside, shorts just throw in the towel. So what I would look for to show you that maybe it's time to take the other side of these, to your point, crowded trades, is a volume day. And typically for me, anything over nine times normal volume typically suggests that. So I hope that answers the question. Yeah, and I think this is one in practice here. So if you take a look at this tweet from last Friday on Market Call, we were doing a little charting work and we were looking at some of the things that were kind of outperforming in XLU, the ETF that tracks the utility sector. We get why money flows into it, deemed to be defensive. The names, are, most of them have pretty high dividend yields, but in a rising rate environment, maybe that should not be so interesting as far as a rising dollar environment. Dollar strength is not not a huge problem here. These are primarily domestic companies. But again, this was a very crowded trade. Technically, it got right back up to that high from the spring and was kind of, okay, maybe having a little trouble there. You see the double top. You see the tweet here with XLU at 77.5. The September 16th expiration, 77 puts are offered at $1.15. That's what I paid for, or just 1.5% of the ETF price. At that point, I had a whole month for this thing. The break-even was 75.85, down 2%. I really like the risk reward there. I think the technicals set up really nicely here. If you look at that chart, you see that gap right near about 70 or so. So it had a 10% rally from that. So again, guy, I just want to throw up really quickly. Here's the chart. If I want to update this thing that's broken that uptrend today, right? Might this thing, my target probably be 74. It would probably take a couple weeks to get down towards 73, 72 or so, which is that gap near the 200-day moving average or just above it. But again, when you're trading options like this, if you have a double, you take it off. And then once you start risking, I paid a $1.50. Let's say the stock's down two or three dollars, and those puts are now worth three or four. Now I'm risking the value of those puts, right? I have the trade right, but I might not actually have the right instrument. And so I might look to roll a portion of those profits down or take the whole profit. And if you put that full screen back up real quick, you'll yeah. see, you know, you said it might take longer. I don't know if it's going to take that long because, quite frankly, the last two times you've seen these precipitous sell offs back late April, May, and then again in mid June into July. I mean, these things happen to the downside extraordinarily quickly. And I think the setup is perfect. I think you nailed that one. And this might be one of those overcrowded trades that our viewer was talking about. But Dan, I think that's it for us today. What do you say? 
I think that is it. I mean, we came in, we came in hot. We had Carter, Braxton, Worth. I mean, that was pretty good stuff. We just wanted to kind of and listen, when we talk about the spy and the Apple, I mean, Apple is the market, if you think about it, or it is that kind of outlier part of the market. And we also highlighted last week where that stock, I mean, it was almost seven and a half percent of the SP 500, the largest any one stock had ever been of that index here. So to me, those two are attached at the hip. That's why we're talking about them again. You think about 7.5% of the S&P 500. I mean, that is an extraordinary number. Yeah. I don't think people fully realize the magnitude of that, and it shouldn't be. I mean, it should, to be honest with you, at most be 4%. And so you can start doing the math as to where the stock can trade to. Anyway, Dan, that's it for today's market call. By the way, you notice I haven't mentioned my Yankees. Playing the Mets tonight in the Bronx. Got them again tomorrow. I think they got Scherzer on the hill tonight, DeGrom tomorrow. That does not augur particularly well for the Yankees. But you know what? This is gut check time. This is last full week in August time. This is when the guys in the Bronx show their mettle, in my opinion. And we'll see how it plays itself out. Congrats to the, uh, I think it was a U.S. men's junior team winning the gold medal in hockey. Dan's rolling his eyes. No. <laughs> my football giants are acquitting themselves extraordinarily yeah. well in preseason football, which is meaningless, I know. But the giants are going to surprise some people this year, Dan. But that's it for Market Call. I want to thank Carter Braxtonworth for joining us. Apparently, we've got something crazy coming up tomorrow. But first, I want to thank our sponsor, FactSet. We're powered by Open Exchange, And I, I, I don't even know what to say. Dan and I will obviously be back tomorrow at 1 p.m., which we always are. But guess what, Dan? EY from SoFi on a Tuesday will be joining us. Madness. Madness. All right, I can't wait. I love hearing you simping for the Yankees. We just we just learned that word, simping, the other day. Uh, our Tommy friend Tommy. Yeah, I, still, yeah. I still don't even know how to spell it, let alone. All right. Well, it well, you were simping for the Yankees there. All right, man. That was fun. I'll see you tomorrow. We're going to be with EY from SoFi. Thanks, Fact Set, for putting this thing on there. Thanks. Later.